Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of the Heat Assist Podcast. I'm David. I'll be your host today, and I'm joined by... Hi, guys. I'm Steven. Hey, everybody. I'm Carson. Today, we're going to talk about some Miami Heat rumors, some setbacks the NBA is facing in trying to resume their 2020 NBA season, which teams we think benefited most from the continuation of the NBA season, and then finally, our closing thoughts on the last two episodes of The Last Dance. But first, we're going to turn to Steven for some Miami Heat rumors. Thanks, David. I uh, just want to touch up a few things that I've been coming up upon the, the rumor feed. Uh, on the internet about the heat so obviously there's a lot of steam coming up about you know the season starting again and teams trying to take you know figuring out what they're going to do so um one of the things that came up on the feed is that you know like um the nba is going to allow teams to have backup players that they can call upon in case one of their own players on the current roster they they don't want to play or uh because of the coronavirus or they get infected with the coronavirus or they can't play for whatever reason in, in this coming uh, shortened season. And mm-hmm. so one of the players that came up that's interesting was the Marcus Cousins. Mm. And so, you know, and also you have Mario Chalmers, a former Heat player, uh, <laughs> stating that he want to, you know, he'll be, ele- he, he'll be he, he's up and ready to go if uh, teams call upon him. Uh, of course he is. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, I, I just thought throw that in since he is a, a, a very loving ex-Heat teammate. Um, anyway, some other rumors coming up about the Heat is, uh, you know, if this coming off season, um, the Heat don't get the players that they intend to get. I think most uh, fans are, they understand that the Heat, if they don't, there's not a lot of high-profile players to hire or to get during this off season. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's likely that they're going to re-sign a lot of their current players to inflated balloons uh, salaries just to keep them around for that year until the big free agency in the following year. But for whatever reason, let's say Goran Dragic, uh, Myers Leonard, and some others, uh, Kyle Linick, they all decide to move on from the Heat. You know, they get better deals or they just don't want to stay with the Heat. You know, one of the players that Heat are looking into getting is uh, Paul Millsap. And uh, I think it might be interesting to get him for this, you know, uh, for that single season before the big free agency, just because I think if, let's say, he gets to play very well, even at this age, you know, he's a little bit older right now. But uh, and then, you know, we get we hit the the really big free agency with Giannis and maybe Oladipo. And then he gets interested in staying with the Heat at a lower salary to be to play for a contender at a at a lower you know getting paid less in order to do so i think that would be a very interesting scenario because he is a good player you for know sure. if, so if he's willing to take less take a, a lower a lesser role i think it would be really good for the heat i argue and this is probably back in our episode we did in late march i think episode 13 i argue that the Heat should, if they don't sign back all their free agents, they should just give Paul Millsap a big bloated contract for one year. Yeah, I think he's a great fit for the Heat. You have a a, a big defensive uh, player that could spread the floor, and like, that's exactly what the Heat need next to Bam. So I really like that move, and I'm I am fine with if we give Paul Millsap a bloated contract, the one year bloated contract. But it, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I think he's is a player that does pretty much a, a little bit of everything really well, like a two of all mm-hmm. trades. Yeah. And so if you need him to spread the floor, he could do that, play defense against bigger people. He can do that. Uh, he's just not as fast as he used to be. Right. I mean, yes. like even he's his, he's up there in age. Old. Yes. He's 35. <laughs> just, 
I'm just letting you guys know he's 35 years old. He has injury concerns too. That's for yes. sure. So. Yes, that too. But he's well respected in the NBA. Uh, very well respected veteran. A good uh, a locker room presence. So, you know, there's a lot of pluses to come in from his from him coming to the Heat. You know, and whether he stays to play with the uh, a contending Heat team that may or may not happen. That you know, that'll be a a different question for the future. But uh, yeah, I, I like that. I like Paul Millsap as a player. I agree with David. Pay the man. <laughs> uh, okay, but um, and some lesser NBA news uh, or Heat news was uh, more in the uh, just hitting up some older players for the Heat was uh, Dwayne Wade was seen working with uh, Ben Simmons. I think that's very important as we later touch on to a future subject in today's episode. Seeing Dwayne Wade working out with Ben Simmons is very, very interesting. Do you guys have anything to add as far as the heat rumors or anything like that? Only that Ben Simmons working out with Dwayne Wade is going to lead to more rumors about more uh, Miami Heat rumors, I would oh say. <laughs> it's, it's not even like there was already the Joel Embiid one, and then now Ben Simmons. <laughs> it's like. Oh. It's, but I, I think I don't know. a good mentor. Ben Simmons picked a, a good mentor, someone to yeah. look after, yeah, to help him train. I think he picked the right guy. So, yeah, yeah. and the connections make sense, right? Ben Simmons is like uh, he's being mentored by LeBron, right? They have the same agent, so yeah. you know uh, they've been he's been connected to LeBron for a very long time, and so obviously LeBron and Dwayne Wade are very close. So you can see where the connection came through. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, maybe, maybe we'll see Ben Simmons in a Heat <laughs> uniform instead of Joel Embiid. Oh God! <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move on to overall NBA news, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of the news has been hanging around. The the NBA is still trying to figure out how to get the season going. You know, there's a tentative date to bring the season back on July 31st, and it's very tentative, especially now given all the protests going on. Uh, some players uh, feel like uh, it might not be the right time to get back to playing. So recently there was a conference call held by Kyrie. He led the conference call to address uh, over 100 players, like a great number of players in the conference call, saying that, uh, you know, they didn't want to diverge attention away from the protests. And so, you know, one of the players that publicly announced that he would not be wanting to play was Dwight Howard of the Los Angeles Lakers. And you could see the impact that could bring into the NBA season if more players decide not to play. And, you know, Dwight Howard is not the elite player he was back in the day, but he's a very, very important role player for the Lakers. And, you know, if the, if the season does happen and he's not there, it'll, you know, it, I think it will make a, a very significant impact on their, on the roster, their chemistry and their ability to, you know, take advantage of what, you know, they're known for in the regular season, having very big, athletic, big men defending the the block, right? So especially against, if you get in the finals, you're looking at Giannis or Embiid in the finals or some other guys, you know? So that's some of the news that's going on with, around the NBA. Uh, other players are putting their stance on the situation, like Patrick Beverly said on a tweet saying that if LeBron plays, he's going to follow and go ahead and play. So he's all for going ahead and playing. Carmelo Anthony, he's bringing up different issues. Uh, he's saying that, you know, we're not really at the point of making a commitment just because there's a lot of questions about details that haven't been answered. You know, a lot of the issues that players would have on a day-to-day -day basis would be, you know, how 
constricted is this bubble, this environment that they're going to be in? You know, can we bring family members? Um, what happens if we get injured? Uh, what if we have the coronavirus and we get significant, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. our health gets significantly uh, affected? So there's a lot of important questions that haven't been ad- addressed yet. And so, you know, it's understanding that a lot of players, they, they don't want to commit yet just because a lot of these answers haven't been, a lot of these questions have not been answered. And to put it together with the Heat, you know, the the Heat have a player that's showing some concerns into playing, and understandably so, Ben, ben Adebayo, who has had a tremendous season up, up to now, he's showing concern because if he does play and he ends up not, he ends up getting the coronavirus, his, or maybe his health gets severely affected, his contract year is coming up. And mm. we've all seen these, you know, great players trying to have a great season just to have that season cut off by injuries and miss out on a huge payday like Isaiah Thomas had with, uh, with Boston. And then um, DeMarcus Cousins had with New- the New Orleans Pelicans. They were coming up with huge contract years and then they just get completely you know they're they can't play anymore and so they miss on a huge payout and so some players are showing concern like if we're going to put ourselves at risk what if the worst does happen and then you know our careers are significantly affected by this you know by playing the season they want to have some sort of insurance or some sort of you know what's going to happen you know we want to be taken care of but we don't want to take the risk without being uh you know without the risk being accounted for and so this some of the news that's going on. It just seemed that there's a lot of questions before the NBA can actually start rolling out. They have about a month and a half to figure out until July 31st, which, you know, it's not a specific date that they said they're going to target, but uh, it does seem that if it does happen, there are a lot of issues that need to be resolved by then. Yeah. I mean, I'm really curious. This is just how the NBA can handle it if a player actually get coronavirus. Like, what's their plan on that? I feel like that's the yeah. biggest news. And that's, that's still, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of issues with that too. Some things I heard is like they got test paid, they got test the players every single day uh, for coronavirus. But, you know, it's, it's not like when you first get infected, you got to show the test will pick up automatically either. And just what, what happened? What happens if a player does get coronavirus? It seems like they're just going to be treated as injured. And, I mean, what happens to the team? Do they still continue playing? Like this, yeah, it's definitely a lot of questions in this worst case scenario that it's most likely that can't happen yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there's plenty of time to figure that out it just seems there are so many things to address and there's a lot of risks that need to be taken care of does it is it really all worth it right let's say you know i i keep bringing this up in the past few episodes like what if one of the high profile players they end up not playing i our friends really going to give credit to the the champion of that season right it, it puts the NBA in a position to not put out a good product. Mm-hmm. And I think they're willing to risk that just for the sake of, you know, being able to put, you know, make enough money for the season to be able to play the p- players, being able to, you know, keep their, you know, keep games going in general. It just seems like such a daunting task to yeah. risk your players, your product, your image that uh, maybe my, the best idea might just be to wait for the next season, call the season off. I just want to point this out though. If, the NBA doesn't play out this season. the the caps The cap is going to get lowered mm-hmm. because of the CBA, and players are going to get um, they're not going to get paid as much as you can with like the supermax isn't going to be the supermax anymore. It's going to be lesser. Mm-hmm. So the, I'm pretty. The players should also think about that as well. Like, is the reward 
better than the risk. I don't think they should play because <laughs> what's the point of getting the reward if you can't even you know enjoy it? You you might not even get that because you're you're going to be injured and or something devastating might happen to you. It, it's I don't I don't think it's worth it right now. And and I think that's part of the issue. It's so hard from you know Adam Silver's perspective because each player is at a different point in, in their career. Like I'm pretty sure LeBron wants to play at all costs because he has a very good opportunity to win. You know Giannis as well, Kawhi and Paul George, like the Clippers, the the, the Bucks and the Lakers, they're all in a very good position to win. And so obviously they would want to play. But then you think of other players like um. You know, like uh, I think CJ McCollum and the Blazers pointed out, they were the only team that didn't uh, agree to continue the season given the parameter that they gave at the time of the conference call. Because, you know, why are they bringing in two extra teams like the Wizards and I forgot who I think the Suns that they mentioned? Like, yeah, why did they bring them in? Just putting them in danger. They're not like you know, not to be rude to them, right? I don't think they're trying to be rude to those teams, but you're just putting them in danger, you know, and then it's making things more complicated. It's going to cost more money, more logistics you got to run through. And so they opted to not go in. And so, you know, um, there's a lot of little things that people are going to want different things at, you know, in this situation, they're looking for different things. Like Bam's concern is completely legitimate. Like if I was him, it's a very good cause for you not to want to play, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just an unnecessary risk, especially with a big contract year totally coming up. Totally agree with it. I agree and then, with you, But then, then you think about, you know, like, uh, a perspective from LeBron, like, he wants to play no matter what, you know? His his career is coming to an end. Basically, he's Superman. I can see him playing for a lot of years, but he's trying to cement his legacy, and this is a very good opportunity for him that he doesn't want to pass, right? Right. Um, it's just how are you gonna keep all these people, these different people with different needs, happy, you know? And then you're gonna want to keep them all happy in a way that you're all gonna want to play. It's daunting, man. I think that's they're taking a huge risk. Although I agree, yeah. I do. Well, I just say play, it's though. really hard to get to negotiate through all this. I mean, an example is the Major League Baseball. They can't come to agreement on how to resume the the season. So it's it's not easy to resume this major sport in during the pandemic. I mean, it's a lot of difficulty. So, yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how the NBA hands, handle it. So that's pretty much it as for the NBA news. Yep. Um, so, but we're gonna go ahead and move on with uh, one of our main topics of the day. Uh, each one of us are gonna give uh, our uh, opinion as to who had the most to gain from this time off. And I, I'll start off with first, you know, my one of the big teams for me the whole season has been the Philadelphia 76ers. To me, I felt like they're championship contenders. Obviously, the season hasn't been going as well, given chemistry issues. But for me, the biggest deal was that Ben Simmons, uh, you know, right, I guess, a week or two before the season ended, he has some back issues. And to me, back small back issues are very concerning because they could be very hard to fix. And so to me, given, you know, this time off, I'd assume that he had plenty of time to heal, which apparently panned out because he's, he got, he gained a lot of muscle weight and you definitely don't want to be lifting heavy weights, which you need to do in order to gain mass. You don't mm-hmm. want to be, uh, you don't want to be doing that if you have severe, if you're having an issue with your small back. So to see him being able to put on those pounds means that he's been able to lift well and help in a healthy way. So you know, it seems like he's back up to pace. And 
you know, obviously with him back in the lineup, you have him and Joel Embiid leading the 76ers, and I think it's a huge step up from, uh, you know, not having him in the lineup. So I think mm-hmm. they're the... And obviously that's me being biased since I had really huge expectations from him, but uh, I still feel they can overcome their chemistry issues, hopefully. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. That was my pick. Uh, who do you think is your... The, the the your best team to gain uh, from this time off, Carson. Oh, for me, oh, mm-hmm. easily the the L.A. Clippers, mm-hmm. mainly because of the point that their whole reason that two of their star players are sitting out is because they could play better in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If and what better way to prove that than to have what was the last game we played like back in March? Yep. Like, look, look at this long hiatus. Like, if you can't win this season, your whole idea of sitting out re- the regular season is, means nothing. That's I mean, th- just, just, just think about it. Their whole, their whole reason that Kawhi and Paul George... Paul George, uh, different issue because I feel like he it really is injured. Kawhi, I don't know. I think Kawhi just has, like, nagging injuries that he needs time to recover, recover from, but which mm-hmm. I think that's to your point. Just look at it. I mean, both of them have played. I don't even think. I think Kawhi has only played like fifty something games, so far, and Paul George has played 40, 40 something games. And if you can't win with the team you have now, which and they're loaded, they have a great bench, they have great starters. Your whole point of just trying to uh, manage your team, your manage your playing time and manage your load, like player ma- uh, player management, it means nothing right now. And their whole experiment failed, pretty much. Well, if they don't win, mm, well, well, I'll argue do, that. Do you do you think that they're going to get the same exact chance next year? Well, they, I mean, this I, chance, this year is their best chance. They got three months, pretty much three months off. Well, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much three months off, close to three months off. I like, think the way you're putting it, Carson, which I agree with you, you're making some good points, but I think your your statements really answers a question like whose team has the most pressure. Because I agree, like they have, they like they don't have any excuses now, right? The whole yeah, point of load management is for is for them to be ready for the playoffs, and they had th- mm-hmm. like three months off. Well, are you sure they're ready for the playoffs though? Because my argument is Paul George didn't really get much time to prep, and then when he was starting to get into game shape, there was this long delay, and now he's to start all, all over again. And I just think being physically ready to play basketball, and then they're they're playing once they have to start up all up again. I just don't know if they're in game shape ready to, but to that, take advantage I, but of this. I, think I agree that with that point. That, that's a good everyone. point. Yeah, that applies but to that, everyone uh, though. Yeah, it's like everybody's in the same boat right now. It's just this. At least he should be healthy. Like if he's injured, that's a different question. But if it's things mm-hmm. like you know, if it's just a low management argument, then oh. his low management has been should have been managed by now. So it's a matter of you know they should be ready for the playoffs as much as any other team. For, uh, for Paul, for Paul, Paul George, George, he's missed a lot. Yeah, like, he Paul missed a different years. story, though, because yeah. he had surgery before he went to the Clippers. So that's a different story. But Kawhi, I don't, I don't think he had any. He didn't have any like surgery or anything. Mm-hmm. He, he's the one who made a point of play, uh, load management is like a, the main reason why he won a championship. Right. And that's what he wanted when he went to the Clippers. So if he doesn't win this year, then it means nothing it, it well you can't say it doesn't mean anything because he did win a championship with toronto do you right. I, 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 same thing. 
I will give him I'll give him credit that he won the championship, but there are a lot of things that happened that allowed him to win. I Maybe agree. Kevin Durant not playing, Clay Thompson not playing. I, what, yeah, like, it wasn't his fault. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand that, but I think now it, you. I feel like they should. You you need to prove that you are right. It's an interesting debate. I'll just say this. I think low management it should be applicable to certain players, right? I think Kawhi has he should be given a lot of credit because it shows that he understands his body. Like he's not letting ego get in the way of me. I have to play every single game. Like he's not putting his quest for an MVP season a regular season MVP to, you know, send him back from gaining another championship. Like I think he understands that like I need to sit out I can't play every single game in the regular season for me to put out the same output in the playoffs. Now whether every player is gonna put himself in the standard that Kawhi does and really be honest about himself and being accountable, like, you know, I'm gonna be able to perform better in the playoffs to see these games out, or am I really just taking time off because I wanna take time off? You know, you can't really answer that, but I do give Kawhi a lot of credit because it does seem like, you know, he's put up uh, what he said he was gonna do. Like he won a championship and I think it it's fair for him to take that approach. Like if he wants to, after winning a championship with Toronto, I think he should do it now. If you want to say that to other players, you know, that's it gets a little tricky. Like, I don't know if I would be able to do that for any other player that hasn't really proved themselves yet. But anyways, that's my pick, the, the Clippers. What about you, uh, David? Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you guys, especially Steven. You know, Ben Simmons, with his back injury, those rumors that he might have missed part of the playoffs as well. So just to have him back, for the start of the season this in July is huge. But I would say the, the team that benefit even more uh, are the Washington Wizards. In You've that, got to be kidding me. <laughs> in that they're I hear this. now in playoff contention. <laughs> the Washington Wizards, I think they have like 35% winning percentage, but <laughs> they are in, they are coming to Orlando to play in Orlando to compete for the eighth spot. And I say compete. I'm not going to say they could go to the playoffs. And I don't think they'll even, and I don't think they could surpass Orlando Magic. I think the Magic will be fine. I'm more more worried about the Broken Nets. Just to recap, the Broken Nets are without the two superstars, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, most likely are not going to play this season. Don't forget they also lost their head coach. They don't really have a head coach, the Broken Nets. They, filed, they fired their head coach uh, midway through the season. I just see them as this organized team that without a head coach, without your superstars, the only half a game above the Orlando Magic, I definitely could see them facing, having this new rule where if the ninth seed is four games behind the eighth seed, they have to compete in this tournament. And who knows what happens in that in that tournament. The, the Wizard will have to win two time, two in a row to make it into the eighth seed against the Brooklyn Nets, but... I mean, it certainly could happen. I, you have Beal fully healthy now. High octane offense. The Wizards are the highest, uh, one of the best offensive team in the league. Defensively, they're not great, but they actually have five. <laughs> they can score, but when it comes to defending, <laughs> yeah. Score. But I mean, I'm talking about this team having a 24-40 records. There was no like nobody was talking about them making the playoffs, but there's actually a chance for them to make it to the playoffs. They don't have to; they just have to be four games within the eighth seed. I know they're now now all facing tougher opponents too, but that goes for everybody, including the Brooklyn Nets. 
I mean, one other issue issue with the Wizards besides the bad defense was they were horrible on the road. They had they had, they were actually 500 at home, but then there is no more home court advantage, so that could play in, in their favor too. I'm just saying to have a team with no chance to making the playoffs, to even have a small chance of making it, especially with the I think the Brooklyn Nets are collapsing. I I think they they have a shot at it. A 24 and 40 team having a shot in the playoffs. I, I don't know, man. That's <laughs> that's an interesting take, David. I would say that um, giving the opportunity is different from having a chance. I placed their chance as 0.0001. Zero chance. <laughs> well, what about what do you think of their chance at least playing that tournament? Uh, well, even if they do, I I think the Brooklyn Nets are still better, even without Kyrie or um. I, the, I, you the, know, I, the Brooklyn Nets are thirty and thirty-four. They, they, if they play eight games, they have to win at least six, and that's even, and that's banking on the fact that Brooklyn has to lose six games. And I, it's hard for me to see them. Game. It's like that's yeah, hard. It's it, they're still the same team as before the season ended, right? And I think it's hard. For, it's going to be hard for them to win any games at all, even if they're giving the chance. You know, and it's especially since the competition is going to be up for everyone, right? Especially for the Wizards, since they're at the bottom of the totem pole, they're not going to have any winnable games. Maybe against the Phoenix Suns, maybe. Interesting take because you know they might surprise us. Like especially, I like Bradley Beal. Like I like him as a player, the way how he how he handles himself, especially in the social media. Like he doesn't let things kind of you know get blown out of proportion. So Mm -hmm. he handles himself pretty well and been a good leader for the for the Wizards since John Wall went down with his injury so I would like to see them do well it's just hard like their team is not that good and they play zero defense when you say they're not a great defensive team that's an overstatement are not a good team either like defensively or you're talking about overall the the Brooklyn Nets are actually uh defensive rating they're actually top 10 they're eighth right now they're higher than Miami but their offensive uh rating is 23rd Whereas Washington is pretty, I think they're in top five. I think it'll go. This will be the only tournament we'll see for the A spot. Like, I don't think it'll happen in the West. I'm I'm sorry, I I miss I didn't look at it right. The Washington Wizards are 12 offense in offensive rating, but mm-hmm. they're they're last in defensive rating. Oh yeah, they're really <laughs> they're bad on really defense. bad. That's for sure. It's interesting. Like you know, they're getting the opportunity to make the playoffs, and I did they win. You see some flashes where they're playing really well, but they really relies on them being able to make their shots, right? Especially like For sure. Bradley yeah. Beal. We all saw how he kind of not played well against the Heat in the last, the second half of that last game they had with the with the Heat, right? And it's yeah. it's a lot of carrying he needs to do. Whereas, well, at least me, I feel the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they they might not have a superstar right now, but I think they're more well rounded. They have overall a better roster than the Wizards. Very interesting take, David. I definitely was not expecting the Wizards. <laughs> I think nobody expected the Wizards. Like you know, I, everybody's like, why is the Wizards I, I, even coming to Orlando? <laughs> I, I could I could understand the reason why you chose them because they have a chance to make the playoffs. But I could understand that. I, I got, but I gotta agree with Steven. I I can't see it. That's really hard. If they only have eight games to do it, mm-hmm. that's really hard. They gotta win six of those eight. To, to tie, just a tie. 
we mean to tie. They just have to be four games behind the Brooklyn Nets. But then the Brooklyn Nets, I will admit, the Brooklyn Nets do have to lose most of their games. Yeah. Most of the eight games in order for that to happen. Yeah. I'd like the chances. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least for that tournament. Not 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 the playoffs, but at least to get that into that tournament to get into the A seed. <laughs> but I, I, I do agree with you though. The Brooklyn Nets, they're gonna they it looks like they're gonna implode. It's they're not it's not looking good for them. Uh, I I will admit that. I agree I with felt, you on that part. I felt like they ended the season on a high note, right? Didn't Jacques Vaughn get like two wins in a row before the the season ended? I'm saying Yeah, man. I think one of them was a game winning shot over the Lakers by Spencer Dinwiddie. They're right. on a hot streak, man. So I don't know. The... You like their coach Jacques Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be determined. They played four games in March and they're three for and they're three and one. Yeah, that's a good start. We'll see. So that... they beat the Spurs, Bulls, and the Lakers. Lakers is pretty obviously their their like most important win, noteworthy mm-hmm. win during that month. And that was an away game too, right? Yeah. Hot streak, yeah. man. Hot streak. Yeah. So I think that will end our discussion for that, but. We're going to move on into our review of the last two episodes of The Last Dance. It's finally over. The last two episodes basically focus on the 98 Chicago Bulls, their last year together, and then the playoff runs. Episode 9 started with the Bulls facing off against the Indiana Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it was just talking about the rivalry between the Chicago Bulls and the Indiana Pacers. And even though the Bulls went up 2-0, the documentary flashback to the previous finals, the 97 finals, where the Bulls were also up 2-0 on the Jazz and how how those two those two teams, the Pacers and the Jazz, were able to come back. And then also focus on Steve Kerr, underrated player, a role player throughout his whole life, and just show his career and how he took full advantage of his role player role, uh, look after John Paxton uh, when he went to the Bulls, and just really became made some really clutch shots and it was a big part of the Chicago Bulls dynasty and also a very emotional story about his life as well. Is there any guys you want to say about episode nine? I guess me in particular, there are a couple of very important parts of this documentary in that episode. I guess the first thing I'll start off is with the, uh, cause the episode starts off with Indiana Pacers, right? Yes. And to mm-hmm. me growing up, I always felt the Pacers put up the best fight against the Bulls. Oh yeah, especially, especially against a second three P. Where, uh, and I think it's important because, especially from our generation, I think uh, you know one of the more popular players is uh, Reggie Miller. But mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, as far as elite players from that era, he's one of the players that doesn't get a lot of recognition as far as like his playing ability. But man, if you ever saw some of his clutch plays, like he, his mm-hmm. highlight reels is just bonkers like you, you you see like steph curry in, in today's nba like yeah. reggie miller was steph curry as far as like clutch plays from back in the day and he oh, has yeah. some crazy plays like uh especially like high playoff moments too and you can see how he stepped up against the the, the mighty chicago bulls in that i think it was games five or six where he pushes shoves michael jordan off and takes that clutch three-pointer Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you see coach Larry Bird like not flinching after he makes a <laughs> shot because he's still like, uh, they still have the ball, guys. Yeah. And he, and he's worried that Jordan's going to make another crazy miracle shot, and which he, he almost did. did. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But, I mean, um, just if, if you think about it, like, that's how much fear Michael Jordan put on the other team. Like, if there's still time on the clock, the other team didn't 
like will still think, oh man, Jordan's gonna do it. Some way he's just gonna do it. Like it says a lot about what he left, like the fear he put on the other team. But man, I. But yeah, that that series was really was really good, especially that shot. I still can't believe they didn't call that shove though. But just saying. Yes. I I think uh he Reggie Miller explained it very well. Like he knew that the refs weren't gonna put the the series on the line just because of a sh- like quote unquote a small sh- push right small yeah. push off and so he knew what he was doing yes. and um yeah I mean in the end he still made the shot super clutch shot right I mean, you gotta give him a lot of props as one of the greatest clutch shot makers of all time and uh but then you go down the the list of players in that team and like Rick Smith was a re- really good all star player. I mean, yeah. people don't remember him, but really tall guy. But yeah. he, and he had a very good uh, post-up game. He was just so tall and lanky and posed a lot of problems for the uh, opposing team. I mean, even Shaq would say that, you know, he had a lot of problems with him just because he was a lot stronger than he seemed and he was so, so long. Uh, and he had the Davis brothers, two tough uh, enforcers. You know, he would go out and bang and cause a lot of problems on the block and playing defense. And then you had Jalen Rose, Mark Jackson, who was, I think he's uh, one of the uh, top top three all-time assist leaders in the NBA. So a great passing uh, point guard. Uh, Jalen Rose was, you know, a very good role player for, for the Pacers uh, at his youthful prime, I would say. And mm-hmm. obviously he had Larry Bird as their coach, you know, who was mm-hmm. a very good coach too, you know, but who also knew the ins and outs of uh, playing against Jordan. So uh, I think that was his first year coaching too. Yeah, I think so too. And he said it himself, I think in a documentary, right? He felt like that was the best opportunity they had to yeah. win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was going up against the Chicago Bulls and the Jordan. But I like how episode eight ended uh, leading up to episode nine where Reggie Miller was like, you know, this wasn't just an opportunity to win our first championship, but opportunity to retire the great Michael Jordan. Like I thought it was such a badass comment, and yeah, like there was so much at stake, and they were so close to doing it. Like that would have really propelled his Reggie Miller's career, as far as being one of the all-time greats. Oh yeah. But like many other players during that era, you know, he's just Jordan just kind of stopped all that. And uh, <laughs> man, it's uh, I I thought they were a great team. Very very. I mean, if you. If you look at it, Jordan has never, like, if you look at all the finals, Jordan has never gone to a game seven. Like, it, it just speaks a lot about that team, like, to be able to bring him to game seven, force a game seven to actually uh, have to win that. Like, you don't see that a lot in the playoffs against Jordan. So, I think, uh, I think, I think it was during the post conference. A post-game conference after game six though jordan came out with his legendary like i you know we're we're gonna win game seven like he he guaranteed they're gonna win <laughs> yeah. game seven yep. and man that, that was really cool too like but it's like such high stakes right it was like yeah. that's what made that moment so so cool because like it really seemed like you know jordan was on his last year we all knew that that might be his last year given the contract situations with you know phil jackson and everyone else in the team and then you know like is he really gonna get? Re- he's gonna retire, play his last year on mm-hmm. a loss, but then he goes out and makes that statement like, "We are not gonna lose. We're gonna win," and you know, sure enough, he pulls it off. Like such, 
such cool moments in the in, in, like during that whole series. I really and, like uh, the the quote from Reggie Miller where he was saying he believed the Pacers had the better team. They had the better team, but the Chicago Bulls had the playoff experience necessary mm-hmm. to win it. That just shows how important veteran leadership and playoff experience is. Yeah. Winning a championship. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting point in the documentary. I want to point out that Indiana Pacers team and Reggie Miller. But another thing I wanted to point out was how uh, David mentioned how Steve Kerr was kind of was part of a highlight of the episode, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they were trying to emphasize his relationship with the uh, well, his role in making that huge clutch shot in the first uh, finals against the Utah, the Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. I think that was the final game of the series. Yes, like that was, it was that was the game to end the series and then winning their fifth championship or their second championship in the second mm-hmm. three feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, it kind of de- delved into Steve Kerr's past, and you know, uh, the director was very keen to ask a very particular question, oh. which was kind of mind blowing. Like, uh, how have you know, despite them fighting and uh, doing, you know, like Steve Kerr getting punched by Jordan. And then Michael Jordan calling him back and, you know, accepting okay. him as a player, getting mm-hmm. his respect. They never really delved into a shared past in the sense that both their fathers were murdered, mm-hmm. you know, in a very unfortunate, gruesome way. And, you know, Steve Kerr was, you know, they, they never talked about it. And I thought that was very interesting because, um, you know, they it feels like in their team, there was a need for any of that for them to bond beyond just you know what they had to do in the basketball court you know they they respected each other but they were there to get a job done you know they weren't there to do anything else as far as bonding going out for drinks or you know getting to know each other (laughs) on a personal level being friends you know they were there to do something very specific and i thought for steve kurt to say something like yeah you know we just you never talked about it and to be fair, it's not something you want to talk to anyone about, right? It's very personal. Even if someone has a similar history, it's not like, you know, we're gonna, I can see why not everyone want to share that, even though someone might have a similar past. But Yeah, well, he even, Steve Kerr even mentions, like, he would ask why he didn't, why why he and Michael didn't talk about it. I think his explanation was he thinks it was probably too painful for both of them to talk about. And even when Steve Kerr was recalling that moment when he found out mm-hmm. his dad was murdered, like, he... He started tearing up. Like I thought, I was one of the most emotional part of the of the whole documentary. Yeah. This was like like thirty years ago, and it still hits hard. Yeah, it's what a crazy story Steve Kerr had. And I thought what's even more interesting was about his dad, who took a job as president of. Oh yeah, in Lebanon. Yeah, what was crazy was they were saying in 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 the in this um, interview with him. During this new segment, they're saying the previous president was kidnapped, and then Steve Kerr's father was like, "Yeah, I think he's still alive, and I I wish I could still met him." I was like, "Man, you know how dangerous this job is. Your previous, you only got this job because your your previous the previous guy got kidnapped. Like, oh man, that's a huge risk to take. And you oh, knew man. how dangerous the situation was too. Like, what a brave guy to to really follow his passion. Wow. Yeah, that's. Sad story, man. It's yeah. it's very unfortunate. Like David said, it's a very, uh, very. I thought it was a very touching moment in the documentary, especially since Steve Kerr is such an important figure in the NBA today. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, at least to me, I see him as one of the one of the voices that you know NBA fans like to listen to. 
Uh, he seems like a very reasonable guy who has a lot of uh, common patience. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me was that, uh, you know, um, in a previous episode, he, you know, how the reason why he punched Jordan in the chest because he was getting bullied by Jordan was because he's so competitive, right? Mm-hmm. And he's very, I think he's so humble to say that, you know, like I'm not very good at it, you know, so I don't, I'm competitive, but I'm not very good at it, you know, <laughs> so I'll have these outbursts. Which is like, dude, you're an NBA player. Like, you don't have to kid yourself. Like, you're very good, you know? But then I think on this episode following up, he goes on to say that, um, well, I don't think it was him. Uh, I forgot who mentioned he, you know, Steve Curry is someone that kind of always, um, he's always overachieving, right? Like, you don't expect much from him. Or, mm. you know, you just look at him. He's just like, you know, this guy doesn't look very athletic. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of scrawny white kid. Yeah. But, you know, he always overachieves and goes above expectations. And, you know, people, even looking back, right, like uh, as a fan of the Bulls and in that area, like you never really thought too much about Steve Kerr until he made that shot. And, um, you know, to see that he's always ready to step up and, you know, be ready and, you know, be that guy, you know, no matter what circumstances and be that voice of reason in today's NBA as well. It's kind of like you always like you see so much character in him and just kind of see how. All that being even, brought up, uh, even Reggie Miller uh, very gave credit. Mm-hmm. Steven, I don't know if you guys remember, but in that, uh, I think it was episode nine, the same episode when we were talking about the uh, the Pacer series, Reggie Miller also uh, admitted that that shot that Steve Kerb made, that three that tied the game to like, I think it was like 86 to 86, with like six minutes left in the fourth quarter, he admitted that that shot that Steve Kerb made pretty much changed the series. Yeah. Because after that, it was pretty much all all Chicago mm-hmm. from then on, and, uh, which allowed them to win. For you fans out there, Steve Kerr has the highest three-point percentage, career percentage of all time. <laughs> Take that for stats. <laughs> <laughs> just, don't, just don't tell anybody how many he took. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, though, if you, look, if you look at it. Like, I'm looking at uh, the stats for, like... Uh, Reggie Miller, who one of the greatest shooters ever, mm-hmm. like he only attempted like less than five three pointers a game, like average. Yeah. I think it's I think crazy. I read about it. It was like back then they just didn't want they didn't they didn't want players to take so many three point shots. They yeah. wanted more shots closer to the rim or just yeah, quote unquote easier shots. I think it was something it's Ray Allen was talking about. It's just back then coaches didn't want them to shoot that many threes, which is crazy. You're telling Reggie Miller and Ray Allen not to take threes. <laughs> Moving on to episode ten. Yeah. The last episode. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty was... much talking about the jazz, right? I think that was like the major point in the yeah. beginning was like jazz. Yeah, episode nine was about them facing the Pacers in the playoffs yeah. in that ninety eight finals. And then episode ten was about them beating the Pacers. And then facing the Jazz in the 98 playoffs, uh, it had that famous flu game that Michael Jordan played uh, where it was actually food poisoning. And then talking about that iconic shot that Michael Jordan took, you know, where it looked like, well, he said he didn't push off Brian Russell, but, you know, he had that uh, sweet last second shot or close to last second shot that won the game for the Chicago Bulls in the finals. And then... The aftermath of that, the Bulls celebrating the second three-peat, all the t- parades, and just how Phil Jackson had them gather up together one last time as a team and just have them write 
what being on this dynasty meant for these players. And then at the end, they would toss their writing into a, like getting a coffee tin, and then Phil Jackson would light it up as some kind of spiritual ritual as a way to end their dynasty, their sole quote-unquote last dance. And then Michael Jordan talking about how they all wanted to come back, you know, all wanted to come back for one more season. They could still do it one more time. They, You know, he felt he was still in his prime of his game. He still had a lot left. Yeah, that's where this episode ends. I guess we'll end it with Steve Kerr saying Michael Jordan won their last get-together. He wrote a poem for for the team, and it just showed that he wasn't this bully, that this this uh, robot that just competes and just wanted and just you know, yelled at everybody. He had an emotional side. He understood the sacrifice that everybody made for the team, and he appreciated all his teammates. And it's just sad that we won't get to hear what that poem. What are you guys' thoughts on episode 10? I had a lot of thoughts about the flu game right first mm-hmm. was that when it was i kind of already knew that it was the uh it was like food poisoning mm-hmm. if you read tim grover's book which came out a few years back he he kind of alluded to it but to me it kind of makes the whole myth behind it I, some people feel like it kind of uh doesn't make it as important or as impressive but if you ever had food poisoning that's bad like you yeah. have no control over your your bowel movements your stomach oh, yeah. it's like it's completely involuntary or you know the, having the flu is really bad and being able to play it but you know if you have iv fluid then you have you know help oh yeah you know i, I think it's manageable but it's still very impressive right well man having food poisoning on the same night like you don't sleep you you can't eat drink anything and like you're able to put up that kind of a performance that is so like that, it's mind-boggling right yeah, and don't, hey, don't forget, he also, food poisoning doesn't just last one day. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had to play. Because that, that was game five during that series when he had that food poisoning. He still had to play game six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it's still like a crazy performance how he was. I actually remember watching that game and I'm like, like back then I was kind of like rooting for the Jazz just to kind of like <laughs> win that game to make it more competitive. Uh-huh. But then I'm like, dude, this guy is like, he looks incredibly sick, right? You can tell he's not himself. And he's like, it's just automatic for him. You just think about like, this guy is so good that like he could be asleep, sleepwalking. He'd probably be doing the same thing. It's like, it's just so automatic for him. Like that's how good he is, right? And yeah. that puts in perspective how above everyone else and how he was able to like crush so many great players' aspirations to win the championship during that era. It's crazy. It's It's crazy. Like... He really was the embodiment of like the guy of that generation, right? And, For sure. Yeah, and then what? What can you say about the last shot? I'll, I'll give this to to Jordan, right? People make a big deal about that final shot against the uh-huh. Jazz, where he quote unquote pushed out Byron Russell. But then you kind of put in perspective with what Jerry uh, uh, Reggie Miller did to Jordan. That was nothing, <laughs> right? It was like yeah, it, it, was, yeah. It, it was nothing. Like I, 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 I buy their, those, their yeah. Those uh, two things were like night and day. <laughs> it, it was a shot. He, it was. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like he's getting. A lot, I don't. I feel like you know, Byron Russell was gone. Like he might have been. He was completely off balance by that point. You know, it's yeah. just like he's gone. Yeah, because he was already, their explanation. If you look they at say, it, he was already moving towards that direction. Yeah, they say his momentum carried him that far. It was his momentum that made it seem like he got pushed. And let's not forget that game one of their first finals with the Jazz in 97, 
same thing happened. You know, it was around the same area too. Final uh, final seconds to end the game, like is pretty much the same thing happened. You know, and <laughs> I think it's funny that Byron Russell was uh was talking trash when uh, Jordan was retired, right? And yeah. then like Byron Russell was a new up and comer. He knew he was a good defender, and then uh, I think Jordan was, uh, you know, he was around uh, Carl Malone and the the rest of the he Jazz was, practicing, right? He was visiting Utah in a baseball game. They were playing in yeah. Utah. That he uh, there you go. <laughs> and <then laughs> Byron Russell comes up and starts talking trash to Jordan, how like, he he can guard him and all that, and like, <laughs> well, he had the opportunity, <laughs> didn't work out too well for him, but uh, it was uh, you, you don't talk trash to him, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Nope. No. Nope. I mean, that's basically what episode seven, eight was building up to. You do not trash talk Michael Jordan. Do not disrespect Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know, I was very curious to see how uh, if the Chicago Bulls owner really had uh, gave Jordan a chance to get the team back together and run uh, for a seven championship, but um, it, d- it didn't seem like it was gonna happen. Nope. And gave I- Phil Jackson a chance to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I think Phil Jackson made, made the right move, right? He took oh, a yeah. year off, and uh, but he he knew that his stay was you know it was unwanted. He didn't want to um overstay his welcome, so he got that contract after he knew nobody they weren't gonna keep the team together, and he didn't want to re- be part of a rebuilding team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I think it's so interesting that Jordan was like, yeah, we could have won a seven championship. It's... Yeah, they could have, but so I I have issues with with Michael Jordan saying everybody would came back for the season. Well, I agree with everybody except Scottie Pippen. I do not think Scottie Pippen was to come back on a one year deal. Um, yeah, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he would have came back on a one year deal because he wanted to get paid. Yeah, and not only that, but you were talking about Stephen how the flu or the flu game was game five of that finals. Game six, Scottie Pippen had that back injury and he had to play throughout the game and his it was all michael jordan he played 46 of the 48 total minutes and he was talking about how he was so exhausted at the last (laughs) like the last two possessions but yeah he basically had to carry the team to the to the win but like sky pippen had surgery off-season surgery on his back and it was his payday it was his free agent year he was not gonna accept, and he did get a contract. He did get a contract offer from the Houston Rockets. The, the Rockets offer him a five-year, sixty-seven million-dollar contract. Like there was no way Scottie Pippen was to come back for yeah, one year. I don't think so. No, yeah, but Michael Jordan at the time he was making over thirty million dollars a year, <laughs> when most teams' entire salary is thirty million dollars. To give you a comparison. The 97 MVP was Carl Malone. He was only making $5 million. Michael Jordan was making 30. The next highest payer on the Bulls was uh, Ron Hopper and Tony Kukoc at $4.5 million. So unless Michael Jordan was going to take a big pay cut, you know, defer, defer some of it to Scottie Pippen, I just don't see how it would have worked. To, to be fair for Michael Jordan, he only made 30, over 30, uh, $30 million plus for two years only. Yeah. To be fair, like every other year besides that, he's he was uh, getting paid like two million, four million, three million, yeah. and then the, his last two years with the Wizards, he was only getting paid like one million, one million yeah. each year. 
Yeah, so. the, and what's yeah. great about the wizard, he's donate he donate all his salary to like the victims or families of nine eleven. So I did thought that was really great too. Oh, but yeah. um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That, that's we need that's another documentary about his wizard days. It's not over yet. Michael Jordan's career is not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could uh, watch the Wizards documentary. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it wasn't like he was like it wasn't bad. It was just he was in a bad team and he was older, but he didn't play that bad. At least yeah, I don't think. Good. It took him a while to get back to game shape and. But he was still averaging over dirt 20 points. I think he still scored over 40 points in one game. Like he was still good. He almost took the Wizards to the playoffs. Dude, he was, like he was still dominating. I think it was it was interesting how uh, Jerry Stackhouse came. Uh, he made a comment not too long ago uh, this year hmm. about how he wished he never was traded to the Wizards <laughs> because uh, he was at his wait, wait, prime. Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, okay. So, uh, uh, during the second year of the Bull of the Wizards, right? Uh, the Wizards traded Rip Hamilton to the Pistons, mm-hmm. and the Wizards got Jerry Stackhouse. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all know what happened to the Pistons, right? They yeah. went on to win yeah. a championship uh-huh. against the legendary Kobe and Shaq Lakers, right? Whereas I think they also know, had, did they have Carl Malone that year too? Carl Malone and Gary Payton. Yep. Yeah. Oof. And so. Uh, but then Jerry Stackhouse was like, you know, I could've, if I stayed there, I could have won a championship. But not only that, you know, uh, he was a very he was a uh, scoring leader of the NBA. And then when he went to the Wizards, you know, he had to defer to Jordan, yeah. and that kind of just, you know, I, I don't think he ever got the peak of his career back mm-hmm. because you know he had to defer to Jordan, and then you know it just kind of went downhill from there. Um, yeah, I th- I think it's very interesting because I, I was reading a story about how. Jordan had to change his mentality for the Charlotte Hornets players because, you know, his mentality is to yell at players, to intimidate them, to bully them, to get, you know, to toughen them up. And I think it was Terry Rozier who was saying, like, nowadays, these days, players don't really, you can't really apply that same tactics to them. And I think Michael Jordan was saying he wished he he treated Jerry Stackhouse differently during during their time together. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because uh, Jerry Stackhouse is also from uh, North Carolina, right? UNC. Yep. Yes. So I'm sure Jordan was very, uh, put a lot of pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And then Kwame Brown, too, man. Like, he. <laughs> oh. Man, poor kid got so much yeah. expectations on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that kid probably got devastated. Probably uh, his career probably never got off because Jordan, he couldn't handle Jordan. Yeah, it's just too much for him. This is way too much expected from a high school kid. I'm looking at his stats when he was with the Wizards. Mm-hmm. His first year, he he averaged, let me see, look at his points, 4.5 points he his first year. Much. He was like, what, 18 years old? He can't, I don't think it's fair to really judge him on his first year. Because he only played with Jordan for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Jordan only played two years. I just want to emphasize that Jordan was still good. When he returned, I think he was still, I think he was approaching 40, but man, he still, when he finally got into the game shape and got into the groove, like he was still, he was averaging over 20 points. Like I said, he almost led to the Wizards to the playoffs. They were, they were a horrible team without him. And like, man, he still got it. It's just a shame that, you know, his body couldn't hold up.
he was 39 on his final year with the Wizards. The record was the the record was uh, 37 and 45. But Jordan did, yeah, he he averaged 20 points. It's crazy, man. At a decent shooting percentage too, 45 percent. Yeah, he was still good, man. Oh man, they, they, there needs to be another documentary. This 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 last this is there's still more about Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think Michael Jordan wants to talk about his Wizards days. What was also interesting was, you know, he was the GM before he came back, and when he was playing, he he assumed he would still have that GM position. But... <laughs> that yeah. was dirty. Oh man. <laughs> You know how that turns out, and that's why he's now now he owns the Charlie Bobcats or Charlie Hornets. Oh man, I miss the Bobcats, <laughs> but I also miss the Hornets. Yeah. I wish we could have have them both. You know, they should bring the Bobcats anyway. back and the Supersonics back. There you go. That'll be great. Anything else you want to add, Stephen? No, I'm good. Yeah. Well, that's it for this uh, week's uh, Behavior Assist podcast. <laughs>